Instead of taking part in your regular high school routines, you flip everything on its head, traveling halfway across the world to study Hindi of all things. And as you immerse yourself within a culture full of ancient rituals and wisdom, you yourself gradually become wise beyond your years. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. When I look back at Indoor, when I really, really try to visualize it, I see my street. I, I lived in a neighborhood called South Tukaganj, which was right smack dab in the in the middle of the city. Everything I, I wanted to access was within walking distance. I I see my host family's apartment complex. I, I see the elevator I rode up every day uh, as I was coming back from school. I, I see walking in, you know, the, the couch, the the bedroom, sort of the, where I spent my time, a place that was really, really foreign to me on my first day there, but faster than I ever could have imagined became a second home to me. Um, and food. <laughs> this week, when the only language is rummy, Bollywood without subtitles, and a large dose of mindfulness. Join us on a journey from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Indoor, India, on a journey of immeasurable growth. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. My name is Luke Tyson. I'm 17 years old from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm a junior in high school at Sewickley Academy. Uh, during the summer of 2018, I spent about eight weeks in indoor India intensively studying Hindi. <laughs> When I first came into the program, as I think is natural for any exchange student, I was really, really conscious of, of not trying to disrupt the day-to-day -day lifestyle there. So I think for the first week or two, I, I was sort of you know overly polite, and, and I, I think that's a sort of an acclimation period that I, I imagine a lot of host uh, students can relate to. I think I, I really started to hit my stride with my host family around a, a week and a half, two weeks in, um, in, in the sense where we found like little ways to bond. So one of my uh, most fond memories is with my host mom, where um, she and my host grandparents really liked rummy, like the card game rummy. So we would spend hours and hours, um, especially with my host grandparents who didn't speak as much English, we would spend hours and hours playing rummy and that kind of became like a non-communication oriented way for me to bond with my host family in a way that may not have been possible otherwise. So I think sort of finding those unique little ways to connect with people that come from drastically different cultures, speak different languages, is really what exchange is, is all about. I had gone into India with this really big conception that I think is prevalent in the United States about this idea of like the Indian family, that there are these these big, you know, booming families all living under one roof. And to some degree, I, I did find that was true, how, how my host family was extended in the sense that it was there were up to four generations living under the same roof. So, so that that was a, a, a preconception I had back in the United States that end up that, that did end up, in fact, being true. Uh, but it was also an experience that, that really defined my stay in India in the sense where my host family would not have been the same without my dad 
about the Imai and my Matapita, which is a host parent. Um, and, and like all four generations living under the same roof really characterized my time in India and I wouldn't have had it any other way. During my first week there, some, uh, a, a trait um, in, in Indian parenthood that I became very quickly, I, I suppose, comfortable with, but at the beginning was very uncomfortable with, um, was that the, the degree of privacy that exists there is very, very different. Just perceptions of what personal space and, and personal belongings look like. Uh, so I remember coming into the, the room that I shared with my host brother and, and seeing my host mother go through my things. And of course, it was my first week there. So I, you know, I wasn't too comfortable yet to be like, hey, Ma, like, what's what she doing? But to a degree, I was like, whoa, like, um, is, is there anything I can help you find? And she was like, no, no, beta. Like, um, and, and she was, you know, just going through my things. Uh, so I think, well, one of the things that I sort of had to become comfortable with and, and really was not good, not bad, just different um, was this, the varying definitions of, of what personal space and personal privacy are like in India. Uh, another example of that, like when I was walking through Sarafa, the, the one of the indoors famous street markets, people would often sort of reach over and, and touch my hair um, just because it was different. It, it was uh, something that they hadn't experienced before, but just the degree to which like permission was never really a part of that dynamic. Uh, it was something that I had to get used to and, and something that, that really was not good, was not bad, just, just different and took some acclimation. <laughs> So I think what I encountered was definitely a mix of, of both stereotype and curiosity in the sense that for, I, I'd even contend that the majority of people I interacted with, if not the very first, I was one of the, the first and only Americans they'd had the opportunity to interact with in their life. Uh, so I got a lot of questions. Um, I, I actually kept a running tally of uh, the three top questions I was asked. Uh, the first one was about my opinion on politics. Obviously, American politics has sort of become a, a focal point for the rest of the world as well. Uh, people asked me a lot uh, about my experience with Hindi, like why I'd come to India. And then my number one question was actually, is high school in the United States like high school musical? <laughs> um, so I think um, it, it's really interesting to be able to contrast, of course, being an American high school student uh, growing up in that culture to be able to understand when media puts like that comedic exaggeration on certain aspects of American life. But to talk to people who didn't necessarily have that focal point, you know, it, it was it was really about breaking down that, you know, in some ways it is kind of like American high school. Here are some ways in which the, the depictions you've seen of American life on, on TV or in music may not necessarily be accurate. So I, I'd say I definitely encountered a mix of the both and it was really interesting to, to take those on. Bollywood is a huge part of Indian culture. I think that's something that I had theorized before I went on exchange and something that I found to be true throughout my time in India. So I did go to see um, Bollywood movies with my host family. That became a really good way not just to practice my Hindi, but also to sort of soak in the culture on another level. Because I think being, I, I was placed, I, I was taking intensive Hindi lessons all day in a school that also had, had local Indian high school students as well. So I think part of my goals upon arriving to that school was how can I actually bridge this gap and build genuine cross-cultural connections beyond the, the novelty of, of a new exchange student being in the school. So I thought when a new Bollywood came, movie came out and I went to go see it in the theaters with my host family, I loved being able to go into school on the next day and, and talk to people being like, hey, did you see this Bollywood movie? Hey, I saw it too, to just sort of build relationships that extend beyond the typical like, oh, he's an exchange student, I, I'm going to go say hi to him kind of dynamic. Uh, so. 
I did have, have numerous opportunities to experience that side of Indian culture, and I, I really enjoyed being able to take that and use it to, to foster other relationships. Being on a language-intensive program, a lot of my time was spent in the classroom, but the most valuable language experiences for me was when I was, or were when I was able to use what I was learning in the classroom in day-to-day -day life. So I specifically remember it was around three weeks into my program, and my host mom and I went to Chapandugan, which is this really big, this uh, this big food market in Indore. And she was like, Luke, like it's time you are going to to get something in Hindi. Like I have a list of things that I want you to get. You're going to go on your own from store to store, and you're going to get those things. And I remember being really, really nervous. It was one of my first experiences using Hindi without that safety net, because it's one thing to speak it when you know there's somebody behind you that can translate if the communication goes awry. It's another thing to to take those on as your own. So I the, the first shop I went to, I, I was really, really daunted. Um, I remember pulling up, I was actually supposed to get pao, which is this type of Indian bread um, for pao bhaji, which was the, the meal that was being made that night. And I remember walking up and, and placing my order in Hindi and just this big smile like coming on the man's face. And, and, it, and it was this really raw moment because I think it reminded me of why I was so compelled to go abroad and learn another language in the first place. And it was about being able to to form those types of connections in the sense that he asked me, uh, like so many people did when I started to speak Hindi, like what I was doing in India, why I was learning Hindi. Um, and and it, it was a neat moment where I was able to develop this authentic relationship with somebody I probably wouldn't have if that shared language experience hadn't brought us together. So that, that was a really proud moment for me. So in Indoor, there's this very, very famous, or I guess some might even call it infamous street market called Sarafa, which is the, the Hindi Urdu word for silver. And it takes place in another part of town from where my host family lived. And it actually only starts at 8 p.m. So it's like this, this huge, amazing, you know, this, this feat in Indoor where people will show up and it's uh, an accumulation of bazaars or, or food shops on the street. And they will just eat from like 8 p.m. to like 2 a.m. straight. So I'd remembered my my program trying to like ease us into the food in India. I told my host family explicitly, don't take him to Sarafa until around four weeks into the program. I, of course, was super duper excited to try the street market that everybody had been talking about. I remember showing up, smelling everything, that the sounds all around me. It was it was this this like beautiful chaos that I think defines India so well. Um, and just, you know, trying thing after thing and having plate after plate put in front of me, not knowing what I was tasting, but loving every single bit of it. Um, and, and that's a, a memory I look on really fondly in hindsight. I was raised in a, in a Protestant household, so in, in many ways, spirituality and religion had been a very, very big part of my life growing up. I was really, really interested and intrigued to explore the ways in which spirituality is different uh, in India and, and on, you know, in Eastern cultures than based on my own experience in the United States. So I remember even not being a practicing Hindu, even having very little experience with that religion. I still remember the first time I went into a temple. It was uh, with my host family. My host mom took me to what was sort of a, a landmark temple in Indore. And I, I just remember walking in and feeling um, what was really just sort of like a raw energy. And I think even um, going into a place of worship for a religion that one isn't necessarily a member of, I think when people, exchange students in particular, 
take the time to to learn about other cultures and religions, it's easy to feel the spiritual energy of others in places like that. Um, so even though you know I, I don't identify as Hindu, I, I was not brought up with that upbringing. I think still being able to to feel the the, the respect for that type of um, spirituality and and feel the the energy of that practice was something that that really affected my perception of religion, not just in the United States, not just in India, but across the globe. So I think when when Americans think of India, one of the first things that comes to our mind is this idea of like meditation, yoga, mindfulness. And to to some degree, I, I think part of that is is sort of hyperbolized, but to some degree, I, I think it is true in the sense that spirituality and mindfulness play a much larger role in Indian day-to-day life based on my experience than one might experience here in the United States. Uh, so that was one of the things I wanted to explore during my time abroad. So I, I went out of my way to find opportunities to participate in yoga, meditation, those sort of mindfulness exercises. And my host mom was actually a really, really big resource for me in that front. Um, so coming back, I actually uh, had the opportunity to do yoga every day while I was in India with my host mom, and she was teaching me different poses, different like breathing methods, um, and I, I sort of fell in love with it uh, in the sense that, especially in a period that was so tumultuous in my life when I was experiencing so much change, it was nice to to have that moment of of reflection and um, and introspection, I would say. So that's definitely something I've made a conscious effort to continue to cor- incorporate into my life back here in the United States. That you know, even if I may not have the the same time to do yoga or meditate, um, that like I made an effort to do in India, just that sort of reflectiveness and and remembering, you know, maybe it's time for me to take a step back and and take a look at the bigger picture was a habit I think I developed abroad that has continued to affect my life here in the states. I think a mindset that I tried to be really, really cognizant of throughout my time in India was that it was my role to be an ambassador and not an advocate in the sense that I I was there to experience issues, um, but also not to place judgment on anything I experienced. Um, But it was definitely always sort of in the back of my mind as as I took a a school bus every day um, from my my home to one of the nicest schools in Indore. And on the way there, I, I would pass families sleeping on mattresses on the side of the road. So I, I did my best to not make sweeping generalizations about India because I think part of the beauty of being able to go to a place in and of itself is to experience the vast diversity that exists in a place like India or really any country around the world that many countries aren't given the benefit of the doubt of here in the United States. So I think to experience India is in part to experience the poverty that exists there, but I think it is also to be able to, to have the frame of reference to put that poverty in contrast with uh, the, the multitude of other identities and experiences that exist there. So I, it was important to me to be able to experience that. It was also important to me to build up the perspective to know that, that while that is an Indian experience, it is not the Indian experience. What I experienced upon returning from India was that there were many things that I had learned and experienced there that, that carried over into my life here at home. And there, there were many things that did kind of stay separate. I think to some degree, I, I changed as a person 
Um, I, I, I exchange really is a life-changing experience, and I, I don't think any, there's anybody who would attest to the contrary. But to some degree, there is still a an America Luke and an India Luke, some some fundamental dichotomies in the way that I conduct myself here and the way that I conduct myself there. Um, so I think that that's sort of what, what culture shock is. It's recognizing that you changed as a person while you were abroad, coming back, you, you almost have to go through that again, re-acclimate yourself to the type of person, the type of environment you were in before you left. So just as I, I got used to things like different definitions of privacy, it also took some getting re-acclimation to, to American definitions of privacy. I'm looking at different options for my senior year. I, uh, I definitely caught the, the abroad bug during my six weeks abroad, realized it really wasn't enough, and um, quickly got home and submitted some applications for different programs to, uh, to spend my senior year abroad. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then beyond that, as the, the college search starts, I've really started honing in on opportunities um, that, that are going to enable me to continue to explore in college and beyond, not just in the context of India, not just in the context of continuing my Hindi studies, but going abroad really made me realize that there is so much more out there than we tend to think of just as Americans and, and the traditional career path that we have. So I think um, it, it was definitely a priority altering experience in the sense that now things that I do have become a medium for, for how I can continue to explore, grow and learn. Um, so, so that's sort of cognizant as I, I begin the dreaded university search here in the States. I, I think there's this disconnect, kind of like I was talking about before, that there's this disconnect when exchange students come back and there's just this pressure to be able to explain such a life-changing experience and what is really like a 30-second elevator pitch. So there were multiple moments throughout my exchange that I was almost cognizant of, like in that moment, like when I go back, there's going to be no way I can portray this. So I think, you know, as, as I took in the Taj Mahal, as I went to different religious sites, as I, I interacted with people in their native language on, on the streets of the bazaars, there were moments in which I wished my friends and family could see me now in the sense that I wish they could experience this because there is no way that I'm going to be able to truly capture it when I go back. Um, so, so I think I, I continue to be cognizant of that throughout my time there. This is the exchange student dilemma. When you come back and uh, all of your friends are, are so inherently curious about, about what your time was like on the, the other side of the world. So you get that question, you know, how, well, what was India like? And I remember my first couple weeks back, my brain would just freeze because my, my mind would immediately, immediately flash back to all these life-changing, incredible experiences I had had. And I had this dilemma where it was, how do I boil that down into a 30-second elevator pitch? Like, how do I respond to this question? How was India? So I think uh, for my first couple of weeks back, I, I sort of used like a little cop out. Like it was amazing. You know, it was incredible. I want to go back as soon as I can. But I think as I had more time to reflect, I, I honed that answer a little bit more and more. So if somebody asked me today, how was India? Um, I, I think the, the first thing I like to say is you have to go and experience it for yourself. Um, so I, I just think all of the lessons that I learned, all of the, the challenges I faced, and then the accomplishments that were born out of those challenges, uh, I would never want to deter somebody else for going out. Whether it's India, whether it's in any other country, any other culture, um, I would never want to deter somebody else from going out and seeking those types of experiences for themselves. So that's been my big goal. Twenty-two thirty-three is produced by the Collaboratory 
an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Luke Tyson told us about his time as part of the National Security Language Initiative for Youth, or NISLY-Y program, in India. For more about NISLY-Y and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do that wherever you find your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found on our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks this week to Luke for sharing his story. I did the interview and edited this episode. Featured music was Haratania Sri by Veena Kinhal, Bajaragar Vishnu and Rag, both by Vinud Prasanna, Okezoke, and Pompey. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time.